While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know where for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Hey, hey. Well, once again, good morning. Like I said earlier, we are in week two of our series, Welcome to the Party. And I'm curious how many of you like to share recommendations, like new hottest restaurants. You're like, I know, I know where you should go. How many of you, are you that person, that friend? Yes, it actually becomes a source of pride for many of us because we know if we can like give the good suggestion and our friends are like, hey, she recommended that place and it was awesome. Like then people have more stock and value. They see us as a valuable friend, right? We love to share what we love, what we find to be great. In fact, right before service, a group of us were talking about this place in Deep Ellum. They're like, you have to go. And I was like, I think I might go after church today. We, like, we believe in the power of recommendation. And as I was thinking about that this week, what's pretty incredible is we are wired actually to consume in such a way that we consume based on recommendation. You know, all those hundreds of reviews on Amazon, anybody else in here read them like I do? Oh yeah, you find a product, it's not until it has like five million reviews and like five stars, you're like, oh yeah, have to have it. You know, even if it's like the masterclass for underwater basket weaving, you're like, everybody likes it, I gotta try it. We share what we love and we love to share what we love. However, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have noticed when it comes to our faith, or maybe more particularly when it comes to our community of faith or our church, we can get really quiet. Why is it so much easier for us to recommend that great restaurant, a great place in Deep Ellum, or that underwater basket weaving masterclass to people rather than our faith, if our faith is so important to us. I mean, you got up this morning, you rolled out of bed, you came here to church, but why is it even though we can take all of those steps in our own lives, we struggle to share it with others? And I think for many of us, and tell me if you can relate to this, I think some of the versions that we've been given of church or that we've experienced of church have been, we'll just say unappealing, you know, maybe off-putting. I mean, think about it. Maybe you, like me, grew up in a church, and the first thing I remember hearing in a church was, shh, be quiet. Anybody else? Or don't do that. Don't say that. We have kind of gotten this stale cold, um, off-putting, unappealing version of church. Or maybe worse than that, we have perceived and understood the community of God, the church, to be this place where we're given a set of rules. And if we abide by them, well, good, you're in. But if you don't, well, there's the door. Don't let it hit you. And I think that for so many of us, it's hard to share our own faith, maybe because we've had that experience with church, but we know so many other people 
have had that experience of church. And so that's why when we were deciding to continue the celebration of our second birthday and what is God calling this community to be, we wanted to launch this series, Welcome to the Party. Because if you look at Jesus, the way he interacted with people, the way he talked to people, the way he lived his life and shared his message, it looks nothing like so many of those unappealing and cold versions of church that many of us and many people in our community were given. In fact, when you see Jesus interacting with people in the New Testament all throughout his ministry, it, it almost feels like Jesus is at, you know, that dinner party that just doesn't end because everybody is having such a good time. Or like Jesus is inviting people to walk into a space that it's maybe not what they expected it to be. And maybe they didn't have high hopes for it. But when they get there, they're taken aback and surprised in the most beautiful and joyful of ways. And that got us thinking that if you look at Jesus, maybe the best image for the church, maybe the best metaphor for understanding what this is all about is actually a party, is actually the best dinner party you've ever been to, or that wedding that you're planning where you are ecstatic and exuberant and you can't wait to have all of the people that you love and even some people you don't even know because your mother-in-law or father-in-law made you invite them. But you're excited to be in the space because you know in that space there is potential to celebrate the greatest, deepest, most beautiful thing happening in your life with a bunch of people who are happy and joyful to be there. What if that is what Jesus had in mind when he left to us this group of people still meeting 2,000 years after Jesus has ascended back into heaven. What if that's what Jesus had in mind, that we would keep the party going? And so we're, we've been talking about that. And last week, uh, our associate minister, Elizabeth, she opened up this series talking about one of the characteristics of a party that we think should be evident in the church is that the best part of any party is who you invite. It's the guest list. And according to the way Jesus partied, the way that Jesus interacted, Jesus wasn't all about exclusive parties. Jesus was all about inclusive parties and the more the merrier. In fact, Jesus abided by that spirit and got annoyed when other people did it. And so we think some of the best parties, the best churches and best communities are those who embrace that spirit. The more, the merrier. Whoever will come, come. There's a party going on. But today I want to look at one, I think one of the key aspects of this idea and characteristic of a party that we see in Jesus and that it's our deepest hope as a community of faith we embody. And you see this in the life of Jesus in, in a few different ways, all of them party-related. At a party Jesus goes to, at a party Jesus talks about, and then a party Jesus invites us to. And when you look at the life of Jesus, and we're going to look at the story in just a second, Jesus... Jesus tells us and gives us a clue why 
we should be celebrating. Why this place, the community of God, should be a party in the first place. Jesus, in his day, is ministering all throughout Galilee, and he has this moment in which he tells a story. And this is what happens. It says, by this time, a lot of people of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. (laughs) They actually translated that and included it. They were really, really upset with that, not at all pleased. See, there's a picture of Jesus, the more the merrier, and it's ruffling everybody's feathers. And so these Pharisees, these religious leaders in his community, they growled and complained about him, saying he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered this story by Jesus. Now, I, I, I love, I'm going to stop there, I love that the biggest complaint about Jesus was that he partied too much and who he partied with. I mean, God come down to earth in the flesh, God in a bod, Jesus, and the biggest complaint is he's too much of a partier. I mean, you may not like that guy, but you've got to respect that, right? Like, okay, I see you, Jesus. So they're mad about the types of meals and parties he's having. And when you read meals, that that could better... be translated today as dinner parties. That wasn't simply just we met up at a restaurant. He's talking about like the Greco-Roman world of like banqueting and feasting. So Jesus is going to these extravagant banquets and meals where he's having deep connection and interactions with people. And that's why they're getting upset because they know when you meet somebody in that space and you see them and you get to know them, it changes you and it changes how you see the world. And so they're grumbling about it. So Jesus, so clever, he tells a story. There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. Basically, he's asking his father, Father, I want my inheritance, what you're going to give me when you die, but I want it now. I've got some plans, some ventures I'd like to try, you know, so could I have all my money now? And so the father, he does it. He divides up his property between his sons, maybe sells off parts of his business, and, and gives him his inheritance early. But it wasn't long before the younger son had packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything that he had. So you've got, Jesus starts this story. Sounds good. A man has two sons. Great. That is like the quintessential Jewish rabbinic story in the New Testament is there's a man with two sons. He is blessed by God. And then this somewhat devastating thing happens. His son turns away from the family, takes what is his to have, wastes it all, and disgraces his family's name. And what ends up happening is that this young man finds himself with nothing, abandoned, and in a bit of crisis because without any money, Without it being connected to his family, he has no one to care for him, and there's a famine in the land, meaning there's no food and no work, and he, he can't hardly survive. 
So he reaches a point in crisis in which he says, what can I do? Where can I go? And he thinks, ah, I will go back to my father's house and I will beg for mercy, beg for help, and see if he will take me in, maybe just as a servant, not even, maybe as one of his workers in a company, low level, I don't even have to be on the board or anything. Like, I just, I just need to survive. And so he goes back to the father. And those hearing the story would think, well, the guys come to his senses, good for him. And of course, this is a good Jewish father in the first century. So of course, in this story, they expect that the father's going to take him back. But what they don't expect is what Jesus says next. He says, and he's putting these words in the father's mouth. He says, we're going to have a party and celebrate. My son is here. He's back home. This son of mine that was given up for dead is now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they begin to have a wonderful time. The fact the father wouldn't even listen. It says the father wouldn't listen to what his son was saying, trying to reason with him and bargain with him and negotiate with him. He said, no, 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 I I don't care about that. You're home. And he called in all of his servants and said, bring him clean clothes, put the family ring back on his finger, restore him to his rightful position, put sandals on his feet, and then go get a prize-winning heifer and roast it because we're going to feast. People listening to the story would be like, wait, come again, Jesus? Yeah, we knew the dad was going to take him back. But the guy's throwing a massive banquet and party like this kid did something good. But you hear the words of the Father, and Jesus parallels that with the words of God. We had to celebrate. This son was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. It totally takes them off guard. And in fact, it even takes his older brother off guard. If you've read this story, you know that older brother comes back from a long day's work and he's like, what is this party going on? When do we throw such extravagant feasts? And somebody tells him, oh, you know, younger brother Joe, Joey's back. And he's like, that good for nothing. You know, he's like any good older sibling. You messed up our family. How dare you come back here? Why are we throwing a party? Somebody set this guy right, put him on a performance improvement plan. Dad, party? But Jesus takes it a step further. And he continues, and it has the father, the God figure in the story, talking to this son who feels that way. Because we all tend to feel that way, right? They don't deserve that. Who Who are they? And he says this. But his father said, Son, son, you don't understand. You are with me all of the time. And everything that you see here that I still have left, all of this is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate because this brothers of yours was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Those words jump out at me. We had to celebrate. We had to celebrate. 
Jesus partied with people. Jesus evidenced the kingdom of God in the flesh, in the earth, by an extravagant party and dinner party because it was all about this happening. Jesus is coming to the Pharisees and saying, you're mad about me getting together with all of these people and loving and celebrating them, but we have to celebrate because the essence of a good party in the kingdom of God, the very heart of God, the very heart of the mission of God in the world is that those who feel lost, those who feel like they have no place and no way are actually found. That's what we celebrate. That those who feel like they're dead and they're dying can actually be made alive again. That's why Jesus celebrated when he came. That's why he called us as a community of faith, as a church, to celebrate. That's why church should feel more like a party than a funeral. More appealing and exciting and extravagant than cold and distant because the whole reason we gather, the whole reason we participate in this is to celebrate that those who feel lost can come home, can be found. That those who feel like they're dying or almost dead or even dead can come back to life. And Jesus says, you don't understand. We have to celebrate this is why we party. A follower of Jesus, um, John, pointed out in this story that, and I love this perspective of the story because we kind of stop with we had to celebrate and we assume that everybody celebrated. But what we don't get in this story really is resolution because we don't know where the sons actually end up. We don't know if the older son says, oh, you're right. We have to celebrate. This is good news. Let's party. Or if he stays on the outside and is resentful towards it. We don't even know with the younger brother. He's come home and he's begged for mercy, but we don't even know if he's really repentant, if he's changed his ways, or if he's still kind of the conniving little brother just knowing how to work his dad for more. We don't get any resolution on their stories and if the party was worthwhile because of their actions. But Jesus says it's not about their actions that makes the party worthwhile. The party is about how the father feels about them. In fact, we call this story oftentimes in the church the prodigal son, prodigal meaning wasteful, extravagant, indulgent because of the way he wasted his fortune. But most scholars come back and say, no, 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 the person in this story who's the prodigal is actually the father or the God character because the God character, the God figure in this story, the father is lavish and extravagant and indulgent in his love for his sons, whether or not they reciprocate it. He parties anyway because they're there. And that is enough reason to celebrate. See, what the father knows that the sons still have to learn and what you and I are still, I think, sometimes learning about the church and about this community and about God is that God is throwing a party because every, 
Every day, every time we gather together, the potential is possible for dead things to be resurrected. The potential is always present for lost things to be found. So the party is always going on and worth throwing in God's eyes, whether or not we join the party. So how do you decide if which brother you're going to be and what part, if you'll join the party? John, who comments on the two brothers, a disciple of Jesus in the first century, he actually he gives us a little bit of a clue when he tells of a party Jesus goes to. Basically, I'll sum it up for you, and then I'll show you the scripture. But he basically says, you try the wine, and if the wine is good, then the party is good, okay? I'm kind of being funny, but I'm kind of being serious, so go with me here. Jesus' first miracle, when he is starting his ministry, getting that, this party going in the world, his first miracle is at a wedding. He's invited to this wedding, which would have been going on for, for days. Weddings in the first century were the party of all parties. But something happens at this party that you never want to happen, even today at a wedding. They run out of wine. Running out of food and drink is like a party killer. So Jesus' mom goes to Jesus and says, you know, you are God, so if there's anyone who could do anything, you could. Will you? And Jesus is like, no, 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 it's not my time to do that. And, and she says, I don't know, they don't tell us the whole commentary. I think they had a conversation. She was like, come on, I like raised you. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Come on. And, and so Jesus does. He's like, okay. And so he goes and turns water into wine. It's the very first miracle Jesus does, and it's at a party. It's to keep a party going. And the incredible thing is that the host of the party, they go call to the host and say, come and see what's happened. Taste this. And he takes a sip of the wine, and then he takes another one. And he, he's shocked, and he says this. He says, wait a minute, usually people like get rid of the good wine first and they save the worst for last because you know people don't care at that point after a while but but you he praises the master of this household that's throwing this party he praises this man and says but you have saved the best for last in other words your party just keeps getting better it's good i've tasted it and i've seen that it's good and it's at this point that John tells us, this is when we believed, when the wine got good. This act at the wedding in Cana of Galilee was the first sign that Jesus gave, the first glimpse of God's glory, and his disciples believed in him. In other words, John is saying, we, we saw it, we came and we saw, we tasted and can confirm, it was good. We, we went to a Jesus party, and we now see what can happen when you party with Jesus. How do you decide if you're going to take part and then go and share it with people that you care about, share what you love? You taste and see, is it good? Has God been good to you? When you come here, when you engage with others, it is something awakening within you? Do you feel that maybe even on the days that you might feel lost, that you can be found? Taste and see.
God, that's good. John later writes, the same John, and he writes this vision. It's in the book of Revelation in the New Testament. It's kind of a weird book, but it's this vision. And ultimately he's saying in it that in the end, God wins. No matter what happens, no matter how the world goes, in the end, the love and goodness of God wins. And this is what he talks about, the end where God wins, where love wins out, what it looks like. And he says, see, Jesus was sent to testify to all of these things, the goodness, the graciousness, the love of God, the hope of God, resurrection, life. He was sent to testify to these things and he is the light of the world. And now all who have heard and all who have believed, all who have come, all who have seen, all who have tasted and all who know the wine is good, they echo his testimony proclaiming this. Come to the party. Come to the banquet of God. If any of you are thirsty, come. If any of you are hungry, come. All who will, come and drink and eat freely from the very water and bread of life. I love that John's at the very beginning with Jesus and the work of God in the world begins at a party and the way John sees it ending is at a party in which we are fully satisfied and all who will come are invited to come and to feast. Friends, we are invited to what God's doing in the world. And I love, I love this quote. Um, that we can continue the celebration, that we can continue to be a part of it. And we're actually in John's vision called to. And R. Allen Street writes this. He says, the early church is found mostly feasting rather than fasting in anticipation of this great heavenly banquet at the end of all things, what John has talked about in Revelation. That the early church, the people who carried on the mission of God and passed it on to us, they're mostly found partying and rejoicing and feasting because they anticipate that in the end, the goodness of God does in fact win out. And so there is reason to party and celebrate today and to invite more to participate. He goes on and he says this, to feast or to fast as the church reveals whether a person is still awaiting God to do something in the world or to participate in it already. Whether we party or not reveals what we believe about Jesus and what he's done in the world. So friends, you, you are invited to the party, but God is calling us to not only taste and see the goodness for ourselves, but to bring other people in and we can do that because we know what can happen when we gather and celebrate the good news of Jesus. The lost can be found and dead things can come to life. Now, I just want to end real quick on this note. I'm sure there are some of you who are saying, well, we don't want to go to a church. It's always a party. And, you know, sometimes life is bad and the world is sad and we're sad and hard things happen. Yes. The early church 
always held on to and gave us the example of this idea of feasting in anticipation of the goodness of God. Not because it was already maybe felt in the world around them, but because it was always possible when God was present. I see our hope, our ability to party and celebrate is grounded in our hope based on what God has done, not in our circumstances. Jesus says we can celebrate, we can join together in joy, even sometimes if it feels like we're going through the motions because we know what happens when God shows up. We come back to life. We find our way home. And so whether we feel it today or not, we can join in and know at some point, like John says, in the end, we will. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.